And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome again to Christmas Eve, also known as the shortest sermon of the year for me. I will uh, live up to that tonight. Let me ask you a question to begin with. So, if you had something massive to celebrate, how would you do it? You know, some people throw a, a feast, others a party, some go on vacation, There's some people who actually write songs and then sing them, and that's Mary. The passage that was just read to you in the Latin is called the Magnificat because the very first words uh, from this passage were magnify my soul, magnificat, as it were. Uh, But this is some of the most uh, famous words from the Christmas story, actually. And and in fact, so much so that Johann Sebastian Bach said to his own tune, uh, probably not Mary's tune, but a different one. But these words aren't just famous here at Christmas time. They're also revolutionary because what Mary said, if she's right, means that Christmas, ultimately the meaning that is, is about a reversal of fortune here in the universe for you and for me as it relates to God. And so what I want to do tonight, just in a a few minutes, I want to talk to you about why I believe that Mary's words are true and that Christmas Eve as a celebration, as a worship service, is much more than tradition, but it is a word of hope for us. But it's also a word of challenge for us. And so specifically, we're going to talk about a word of hope for, for outsiders tonight. But then a word of challenge for insiders, and I'll explain what I mean by that here. And then also just concluding with a word on what is the meaning of Christmas and what can we leave with tonight as we go away back to our families, back to our traditions. So first year, the word of hope. Now, if you are with City Church, you will know that we are finishing, actually technically tonight, our Family of Jesus series and teaching. And we looked last week at the story of Mary. And the angel Gabriel, as was portrayed so well in the light of nativity tonight, thank you so much, uh, boys and girls, uh, that annunciation scene, and, and of course Mary is told as a virgin that she will conceive and she will give birth to Jesus. And she was told at the very end that her cousin Elizabeth was barren. And even though she was barren way beyond her fertility years, she also was going to have a son named John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. And so there's this scene between what we talked about last week and what was just read to you tonight, where she goes and visits Elizabeth near Jerusalem. She hadn't seen her in in a long, long time, and sure enough, she's pregnant. And so as a result, she breaks out in song. She writes a song as a teenager. She breaks out in song, amazing the words here, what she says about both the character of God and the nature of reality. And she's only 14, 15 years of age. Pretty amazing. And so I want to share with you, what is that word of hope? Here's the word of hope. 
It is a word of grace to the humble. The thing that, that Mary celebrates more than anything else, really what this whole song is in praise of God's grace. And it's a word of hope to those who are humble. Now, here's the key to understanding grace, and here's the thing to, to understanding humility. They go hand in hand. Grace is never received by the prideful. And it makes sense, right? Because the very nature of grace means that there's brokenness, there's darkness, there's sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But God at Christmas time comes down and He meets us in our state of lack of grace and gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And those who want grace are the ones who are in the lowest state. Now what's fascinating is that, that Mary is socioeconomically poor. So was Jesus. Jesus didn't have his own home. Most of the disciples were in that same state, as it were, socioeconomically here. But what I want you to see is that the the key is not being socioeconomically poor in order to receive grace. But to be, as she says, into a low, humble estate. Which means, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in this famous Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon of all, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We sang that earlier. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, now, plenty of people in this world, socioeconomically who are poor, understand that better than, better than most because they see what they lack. But what I want you to see tonight is that the key to understanding Christmas for you in your life was the same one for Mary. And that is seeing that she did not, did not deserve God's grace, but instead received the gift of God coming down, love coming down in the person of of Jesus, And so her soul magnified the Lord in light of the great gift that Christmas was. And so the key for your life tonight is to ask this question. Am I in a lowest state, in a, plate of, in, a, in a state of spiritual poverty where I can receive God's grace? That's the key. And that's why it's a word of hope. All that's required of you tonight to leave here And to know God's grace is to be in a place where you recognize that you're in need of God's grace. And so, for those of you who are outsiders, which is all of us by design, God says that I came down because you were all on the outside looking in. So I want to ask you again as well, are you yearning, are you thirsting, and are you hungering here at Christmas? And maybe you've been a believer for most of your life. Maybe you're a fairly new believer. And if you are, just want to say, it never gets old. Hearing the good news of God's grace for you, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or 15 days, it's the same good news. So it's a word of hope for us. It's his invitation. Jesus Christ, by his nature and his character, was a God who offers the invite through grace. But there's also in here, the second half especially, a word of challenge for us as well. She says a number of things here. She says, God in the strength of his arm scatters the proud. She then goes on to say, he brought down the mighty, all those empires. And remember, again, if you were here last week, I said this, that at the same time that, that Mary is living in, in Nazareth, the same time that Caesar Augustus was being worshipped as a god in Rome. And I think about that. I think about the world that we live in. We typically don't live in a world where we celebrate humility, do we? What do we celebrate instead? Typically, social media and politics and so forth, we we celebrate narcissism, actually. 
We celebrate those with the fame and the fortune and the power. And Mary says, not so fast. That's not how God's kingdom actually works. Now, what's interesting is the commentators will, will note here that the verb tense is kind of unusual because she, she speaks as if these things have already happened, but the verb tense is actually looking forward. In other words, we might call it a prophetic tense. Now, why would she do that? Why would she say these things are, are, have happened but are happening? And the answer is she looks to her son, the gift given to the world, and prophetically through the Holy Spirit, what she says to us is that my son will be the word of hope, and my son will be the word of challenge. And think about his life. We've been, uh, for those of you who may be visiting with us, we, we're almost done, not quite there. We're almost done going through the Gospel of Mark. I've been in there for 16 months. And what have we been looking at? We've been looking at the life of Jesus. And in just a few weeks, we're going to begin to look at the story of his passion, his suffering that would lead to his death. And as you look into the life, as you look to the death of Jesus, you see one whose whole life is one of challenge and one of invite. And who does he invite? Typically those who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. But who does he challenge? He challenges the religious establishment. He challenges the religious leaders in particular. He challenges those who look to power, who look to fortune, like the rich young ruler, for instance. And to them, his words are not words of grace. They're not an invitation. They're a challenge to their possessions. I want to ask you a question tonight. What is the most important thing that you possess? If this world is all there is, that means your possession is determined by how much power, how much wealth, how much worth that you have, and how much you can accrue. It's up to you to forge a reputation for yourself. But just like Caesar Augustus in the Roman Empire, these things too shall pass, including your worth, including your wealth, including your reputation, including your very life, if this world is all that there is. Tonight, you must answer that question. Is this world all that there is? Or is it that this story and so many others like it that make up the scriptures of the Christian faith point to something bigger, point to something bigger than ourselves? And I would like to say this and commend this to you tonight. I think most of us in this room long be part of something bigger than ourselves. And the very nature of who God designed us to be, the very nature of our hunger and our thirst to be part of something more meaningful than just physicality, than material possessions, is the very evidence that we have a God who longs to know us and longs to slake our spiritual thirst and feed our spiritual hungers with the word of life, the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. And so, yes, there's a challenge in here. And the question is, do you possess those possessions or do they possess you? Only in Christ can you let go of this world in such a way as to free up the space in your heart to receive him at Christmas time. This is the challenge. But even to you, I want to say this. There is a word of grace. Even in the midst of that challenge, if, if you hear those words tonight, if you hear what Mary said and what I'm saying, and you feel the challenge, know this. It's all that's required of you tonight to leave this place is to go out with humility, with surrender, and saying, Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Be my wealth. Be my worth. Be my reputation. And it matters not how much material wealth you have. It matters not how wealthy you are or no 
how socioeconomically poor you are, what matters most is do you understand your spiritual poverty tonight? It is so easy to look upon the Christ child in the manger and not see the challenge. Most of the nativity scenes, we see the little wooden figurines of Joseph and, and Mary and the, and the plastic Jesus, though tonight we had Luke Hefty alive and well. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Yeah. That's the best nativity possible. But it's really easy just to kind of leave Jesus there and not be challenged by him. And so a word of challenge is necessary here at Christmas time. But let me conclude here. My last words to you. Let me conclude here. What did it actually mean on the other side of Christmas Eve that Jesus Christ was actually born into the world? Mary's words were looking forward to the coming of her son, who would be the Savior, who would be the Messiah. The most important doctrine that we celebrate here on Christmas Eve, here at Christmas, is called the Incarnation. And let me tell you why that's so important. Every other religion, if you do a comparative study of religion, every other religion will tell you that God keeps his distance. What's important is that you figure out what are the gods or the God require of you. And then you have to meet that standard. But because God came down in grace, he says, by definition, there's nothing here for you to do. There's nothing that you could possibly could do to bridge the distance between my perfect holiness and your sin, the darkness. And so he sends his son to do what? His life and his death and his resurrection. Love came down. And so this, mor- this morning, <laughs> this evening, here's the last thing I want to tell you. When Jesus Christ is born in the manger, it was the beginning of the end for the spiritual powers that brought darkness to our world. He came to topple not the government in Jerusalem or in Rome. He didn't come to topple the political party that you detest the most. He didn't come to to topple those with wealth and power in of themselves. He came to topple sin and death. He stood before Pilate. On the eve of his crucifixion, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. But make no mistake about it. If you understand that, it begins to change your heart from the inside out. It begins to change how you live out the kingdom of God into this world. How could Jesus do it? Because he was dispossessed. Think about that. Jesus Christ had all the wealth. He had all the riches. He sat at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But because of love, because of his grace and his mercy, he gave all that up. Paul sang a song as well. He wrote a hymn as well in Philippians 2, where he celebrates the fact that Jesus Christ wasn't humbled as much as he was humiliated. Why was he humiliated? For your sin and for mine. And so, as you go to your homes tonight and you celebrate with your children, as you go about your traditions, be sobered. And may Jesus Christ be more than just the the child in the manger. May he be your king of kings. And may he be your Lord of lords. And may he possess all of you. Every day, not just Christmas Day, but every day of the year. May he be your most treasured possession beneath the tree. For he hung on the tree for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For Christmas morning, we thank you that the prophecies came true. We thank you that 
you dispossess everything that you had sitting at the right hand of the Father so that you could possess us on the other side of your humiliation. And tomorrow morning, we are going to enjoy some amazing traditions beyond simply tonight's traditions. And there'll be much rejoicing. There'll be much celebration for many. But for others, there may not be. And so, Father, whether there be celebration under the trees or not, Father, may you possess all of us. And may we remember that the the greatest gift is you, Jesus Christ. And that all the other gifts, all the other celebrations, they should all point to you. And so, Father, possess our hearts tonight. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you came into this world incarnate. And that you came in low and humbled to meet us in our humble estate so that we might be raised up into new life with you. May we live as your disciples into that new life, not just on Christmas Day, but every day of the year. We thank you and we pray this in the name, Holy Father, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.